Hi everyone and we- welcome to the next episode of the Bitcoin Collective Podcast, your journey into Bitcoin, sound money and macroeconomics with me Jim and oh there's no Jordan, Jordan's having the night off, Jordan's having the night off but you know will I be able to do this without him? Of course I will because I've got an amazing guest on, the amazing James Lavish, how are you? No, I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, it's good to it's good to have a one on one. It's okay. Jordan's not here. We I do know. miss him, though. We do. Miss we miss him. we miss me, Jordan, because he's he's the future, isn't he? He is the future. That's uh, that's right. <laughs> the wee bits of the future. <laughs> <laughs> as as uh, Greg Foster would say, it's for the kids. <laughs> it's for the kids. Hashtag Jordan. <laughs> Yeah. So, James, tell us, just remind the audience a, a little bit about yourself. And I mean, so yeah. you're in Las Vegas. What time is it there just now? No, it's at uh, it's high noon right here. And it is wow. hot. I yeah. mean, it is. It's 100 degrees. It's monsoon season here. So I don't know if people know this, but it rains all month here uh, once the monsoon hits and it's August. It, it is like my backyard. It's just it, it's crazy. Because, you know, the, the rain hits so hard here and some soil never sees rain here, you know, like it doesn't have any vegetation on it. And you look and you're like, there's actually grass there. I, you know, I never knew. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, so I'm in Las Vegas full time uh, about myself. I'm an institutional investor. I've been in hedge funds and private equity for the last uh, almost 30 years. Uh, in in just uh, doing all kinds of stuff in risk arbitrage and risk management, um, and uh, and distressed investing, uh, you name it, converts uh, anything that has to do with finding inefficiencies in the market. So uh, that's my background. Uh, I, I came to the Bitcoin space uh, almost two years ago now, and um, I dug in really quickly and really deep on understanding why the Bitcoin protocol is so different from every every other cryptocurrency, uh, so to speak. So, um, and uh, it's become an important, important part of my life. And so I'm no longer, uh, right now, I don't have a fund that I'm attached to. Um, you know, I'm thinking about some things, but we, we, we can't talk about them quite yet. But uh, there's, uh, so, but my mission is to help educate people, um, from using my perspective in the institutional uh, investing space and helping them understand what's going on in the landscape uh, and helping inform them for their own personal decisions. Uh, and and then most importantly, helping shepherd Bitcoin to where it needs to be to uh, to help people who need it the most. And it's interesting just to pick up on what you said there, James, about you went deep into Bitcoin and I didn't really go deep into Bitcoin in 2017. I was kind of that skirting the surface. This is an investment. Oh, I'll have some Ethereum. Oh, Litecoin's really cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, opening up a Coinbase account. And it, it, it took me probably, it actually took me from November last year when the kind of 69,000 hit and it all started to unwind for me to really start to dig down deep so when you said you went deep, how how did you go about but, that? Yeah, you know, I mean, most people start that way, and from what I understand, and they just come into the space, and it's like, which Bitcoin do I buy? You know, they don't understand that Ethereum is different, Solana is different, uh, you know, Cardano. Really, what happened was my son is in college, and um, and he knew that I had looked at Bitcoin a long time ago, and I missed it. Um, you know, I was an institutional investor, and I did what you do as an institutional investor, and I asked. The people who I knew who were in in technology and they who were in the space of of analyzing uh, and going deep on technology companies and protocols and and I asked them and every single one of them was basically like don't know it's just worth if you want to throw money away get a lottery ticket sure but it's worth nothing it's a Ponzi scheme it has no underlying fundamental value and so I missed it. And I, I deserve the fact that, that I missed it. Um, I do lament that. But uh, anyway, flash forward um, a number of years and my son who is in college, he was talking to a number of his friends and he had started getting into the, the crypto space. And 
you know, the, the, the kids, they want to wheel and deal a little bit. Um, so it's, you know, he was in Ethereum and Cardano and, uh, and I think Polkadot and maybe Solana. And he was like, dad, I really think you, you need to dig back into the crypto space. If you're not, um, if you're not focused on traditional investing right now, this could be super interesting to you while you're, uh, while you're working during the pandemic. And so I did, I dug back in and quickly, uh, was able to discern the difference. And a lot of it has to do, Jim, just with my my investing background and being able to truly understand um, what what set Bitcoin apart for me and things like counterparty risk. You know, um, you, you don't have settlement risk with it. it it's, it's an incredible um, advancement that we have that, um, you know, understanding that there's a scarcity, that there's a scarcity value to it. Uh, the whole, the whole gold argument, but it's better because uh, it, though it, it can, and we've seen how it's manipulated with the futures market right now, um, it's nowhere near the manipulation of, of gold and silver markets. So uh, that was really important to me. And it was easy for me to separate it out. Then as I was watching the Michael Saylor and other videos, um, listening to Preston Pish podcast, podcasts like um, you know now yours, um, but podcasts that were that were uh, digging into both the macro and fundamentals of what's going on in the world and how they relate to the different uh, protocols and especially with Bitcoin. Um, I came across this this video with um, it was with Pomp and he was uh, he was interviewing Jeff Booth. And that's really where where was the, the turning point for me when Jeff was explaining that the the inflationary versus deflationary pressures, inflationary pressures of of money manipulation and, and the Fed versus the deflationary pressures of technology and and the advancements of technology and how they were coming to a head and going to clash. That kind of that 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 put it all together for me and made me truly understand how Bitcoin can take us to that, that next step of what we need to ensure that we don't have a complete financial collapse of the world. Because, I mean, we're, we're so indebted, Jim, the, whole, the world is somewhere three and a half or four to one um, debt to GDP as a whole. And that's just not sustainable. We will have calamity. We will have major currencies and major sovereigns that fail in the next 5 10 20 years it's just it's just math there's just no way around it so um understanding that and having this gave me hope it was like okay and now i get it and so it was it was easy for me to migrate over so that's kind of where i come from yeah um and having that sort of forensic brain is has obviously helped you to do that so let, let me just unpack a couple of things there. The first thing is, when you talk about a Ponzi scheme, so when I went to I went to the doctor the other day because I've got a, a rash, and I said to the doctor, I said, um, look, he said, what are you doing just now? And I said, I'm doing this and doing that. And I mentioned Bitcoin. And he literally, after that, he didn't really want to talk much. He was more interested in other stuff I was doing. But when I mentioned Bitcoin, he kind of like, mm. oh. and it kind of takes me back to that, Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, the people who are in traditional finance who have got their pensions or they don't really understand it. But can you can you explain as simply as you can why Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the the definition of a Ponzi scheme is you know it's it's you're building. Uh, wealth on top of borrowing from other people's wealth, basically. So, you know, the the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme was he had investors, he was promising investors a return. And the only way that he could get those returns was by bringing in additional investors, right? So um, the difference is Bitcoin is pure money, right? So, you, you know, um, as we have more people come into the protocol, it becomes more liquid. And it's all, it's transferable. It's not like, hey, look, if if nobody else comes into the protocol, well, then if nobody else invests their money into the Bitcoin, uh, into the, the time chain, right? Well, then it stays exactly where it is. And you and I can exchange that value exactly, you know, for what we um, priced in at. The difference is the input 
is the Ponzi scheme, the fiat. And that's and that is what is that's what ma- makes ultimately what makes the Bitcoin price go up. It's not inflation, but it's expansion of the money supply, right? Yeah. So as more dollars are created, then there are more dollars out there to be put into hard assets. And so Bitcoin being that that permissionless, trustless, uh, completely dis- decentralized network that has a as a surety of a, a scarcity in value. There will only be 21 million Bitcoins in total ever mined. Uh, all those put together um, that that create something that is is completely unique as hard money. So we can we can trust that and that trustless part having no counterparty risk is super important you know because when we're if you remember the financial crisis of 2008 um one of the biggest problems for investors who got it right was that they had these these cdss the the uh um they were uh it, it i don't know how much we've dug into this before um but the CDS is basically just it's it's insurance against the failure of a bond, right? Yeah. Um, it's a credit default swap. So credit bond default failure swap. I swap with you as insurance. I give you a you know a certain amount of money per year to have that insurance, and then if it defaults, then you owe me the face value of whatever I insured. So imagine that you've got a house um, that it's your house. You've got it insured. It's, you, you know, you own it. Well, in that world, I can insure your house too. And back in, in the, in this credit default swap world, that's literally what was happening is I was, I was insuring the, you know, getting insurance on the mortgage of your house, basically. So if you defaulted, if, all of those bonds defaulted and I wasn't getting paid that, that note, that interest rate that you were supposed to pay. Then I was, I was made whole by the person who sold me the insurance. I didn't own any of the houses, but I was able to do that. I didn't even own the bond. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but the problem in that world was that there were some counterparties that went bankrupt and couldn't pay or they were so snarled up with the counterparties on top of counterparties, and it was so tangled up. You couldn't tell who the counterparty was that some of those contracts just fell through. So even if you got it right, some of some of the people didn't get paid. Lehman went completely out of business, you know. So some of the counterparties there, they didn't get paid. And so that was part of the problem. Whereas with Bitcoin, it there's no counterparty risk. If I as as soon as that that trade settles, I get, I, I own that piece of the time chain. Okay. For whatever price I paid for it. And that's divided by that. The number of Satoshis that I have, there's divided by the 21 million. And then that's, that's how much I own of that, of that time chain period. And there's no counterparty risk because I've got my 12 or 24 word seed phrase that I know. Okay. So I don't have to rely on somebody else to hold that instrument, that security, that 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 value that I have attained. I don't have to rely on them to make good to the promise that once I want it back, they'll give it to me, right? No counterparty risk. Now, there's a catch. You have to have control of your own coins. If you have them on an exchange, if you have them at Coinbase, at Kraken, at you know wherever you you have them, Binance, and they decide that they're not going to let you have your coins that you own because maybe they've levered themselves, they've lent them out as collateral, and they don't even have control of them, so they can't give them back to you, or because they're having a run at the a run on the bank and they just put up a gate and don't let anybody take their coins out. Well, if you have your coins at, at on any of those exchanges, well, you're exposed to the counterparty risk I'm talking about. Yeah. However, if you have them off exchange, you're not exposed. You have yeah. you're exposed to your own 
risk that you lose the keys, that you lose that seed phrase, you forget it or whatever, but that's it. You don't have to rely on anybody else. You just have to rely on the fact that, that the network is going to continue to operate, that the nodes will continue to settle transactions, and then you're fine. So, so from what you've said there, the, that the, the penny just dropped for me. And I've listened to Michael Saylor so many times when he talks about Bitcoin being pristine money, being pristine. And really, I, I was trying to always figure out why he used that kind of adjective. And now, now, I, now I get it because there's no, there's no human interference there's no people wrapping stuff up in packages and selling them on and insuring them here and, and it becomes obfuscated. It's absolutely pristine and it cannot be interfered with by all these uh, financial types. Is that is that right? Well, it can't well, that's right. If you take the steps that I just described, and if you leave them on exchange, they can be subject to the same um, you know, the same nefarious behavior that we've seen. Yeah. And part of that, we've seen how the collapse of, of uh, Celsius and, um, you know, Luna and all of that, how that has affected uh, the whole market and how some of them had to sell Bitcoin just to be made whole and pay off debts. Well, yeah. um, you know, you can subject yourself to that by not taking control. However, it is pristine if you are able to take that off exchange. It's yeah. not that difficult. If a 50-year-old guy can do it, you can do it. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I don't I don't portray myself as a technology uh, you know, expert. It's not difficult. Get yourself yeah. a, a a cold card or you know, a treasure and just it's not that hard. So yeah. um, but yeah, and that's it. And it's 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 there. As long as the nodes are operating, it's there forever. It's yours. There's nothing that that can interfere with that. That time chain is pristine in that if somebody tried to change it, then the majority of nodes would, would reject that block because it's fraudulent. Yeah. Or it's a double spend. And that's that's the, that's what was solved with this protocol. And that's why it's it's so important. That's why it is it is a monumental. It is a is a a uh, seismic shift in the world of money. And Jim, now you know why so many of these large actors are fighting against it. Why? Yeah. Well, they may not understand it, or maybe they do. And the, if the ones that are dangerous, the ones that understand it and are fighting against it, because they're the ones who are digging in. And why are they digging in? Because they've benefited so greatly from the system that's currently in place. And this yeah. system has benefited them. I don't, you know, people get really upset here. And I'm, I'm at this point, I'm kind of apolitical. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't trust anybody in, uh, in offices and in these positions because they're just benefiting greatly from the system. And if you listen to Jeff Booth talk about it, and I've talked to him at length about this, it's, it's not the people. They're being rewarded by the system that they're operating in. And it makes yeah. perfect sense. You know, I don't care if you're Democrat, you're Republican. Listen, they don't care about anybody. <laughs> you know, you could see that it doesn't matter what year you go to, they don't care. They're passing laws that benefit them and their their core co constituency that helps promote and get them elected. That's that's truly all they care about, you know. So on the whole. Sure, there may be some people in there who think they're doing well or doing right or doing good, but you know the reality is they're they're stuck in this system of operation that they can't get out of, and it's rewarding them for that behavior. And yeah. So that's why they don't want it to change. Simple as yeah. that. And Bitcoin changes everything. That that rewarding for the behavior. It's almost, you know, it's that pit. go to school, go to college, get a degree or a diploma, get a job, work your way up, get pay your pension, get your mortgage, own your house. And we're in that mindset. So we yeah. are. Well, well, no, and there's, and honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong. Okay. With educating. I am a huge proponent of education. I, I, every single day I learn. now, of course, the world is different than when I went to school. You know, there's there's more printed 
on the internet every single day than, you know, I mean, like it's, it's incredible how much it's difficult though, because there's so much printed now to cut through the noise to get to the signal. However, no, you, you don't need college anymore. I absolutely admit that you can be successful without college, no doubt about it. You know, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be, um, you can educate yourself online to do things that you want to do. No question about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to college. It's a, it's a transaction. It's a trade-off. You know, we had long discussions about this in my, in my household and at the dinner table with my kids, you know, this is what you're getting. You, you, you get it. Some of the, the best schools in the world is you learn how to critically think. So you could see something and you can analyze, learn, digest it, and then come at it with a point of view and an uh, analysis that helps you truly see what the, you know, the purpose of whatever you're learning is and how it can be applied to whatever you're trying to do. Critical thinking, right? So that's really important because that allows you to come out of that college and get any kind of job you want, right? So I'll give you an example, just from my son, right? So he's at a school that uh, that gives you a broad learning basis. He got in because he's a graphic artist. He's a tremendous artist, uh, um, drawing and, and illustrating, right? Okay, that was the, the school wanted him because he could offer that to the community. And what the school offered him was, we can broaden your knowledge base and your skill set so that when you graduate, you will be able to claim that you have more than just drawing capability. Okay, so the point is, well, this past summer, he's going into his senior year, but this past summer, he has an internship in, uh, and he's doing cybersecurity. That has nothing to do with what he's studying. However, he is he was hired to do that because the firm recognizes that he has the ability to critically think and learn very rapidly. So that's the trade-off. Is it is a lot of money? Yes, it is. But you know that that's what you're getting and it opens doors that way. So now go back to your original statement though. And I agree with you. The problem is when we're put on this hamster wheel of debt that we don't understand. And I think that's where you're going with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're setting on this, you're, you're on this path of, you know, you're borrowing money for your car, you're borrowing money for your house, you're borrowing money on your credit cards, you're borrowing money for your schools, right? And then you're not keeping up with inflation because you're buying all these things that you don't need. You have subscriptions to every single service that's out there, whether it's Netflix or Apple Music or, you know, Spotify, you've got your, you know, your music in your car, you've got your movies that you're renting, you've got... And they all add up. You've got your gym membership. You've got your Peloton. You've got, because you need, you need all these things, right? So you're just on this hamster wheel. However, the problem is inflation is going up so rapidly. You're not keeping up with it because your salary is not going up as quickly as inflation, right? So that there's a separation that's happening there. And so as you get older and older, you're not able to, so-called retire because you have no assets. Your assets are being deflated away basically because you, you, you the ones that you have are, are, they're not assets that inflate along with the money supply. If you own a home, that's probably the best way to, to have an asset that you're using that will inflate with the money supply. Your car won't, you know? Your, your, whatever, your electronics, your, your computers, they all, they depreciate over time. So, and there's no surety anymore. It's you funny. Know, our so, yeah, our social security system here, Jim, is a mess. We're not, yeah. we're not insured that we're going to have anything when we retire, yet we paid into it all these years, right? So, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your, your, your statement, but I just want, I want to clarify because it gets thrown around a lot especially on, 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 you know, uh, Twitter financial, uh, threads and, and thin twit, I guess, um, that college is evil. It's not evil. You just have to know what you're getting into and exactly what that exchange is and whether it's worth it. So. Yeah, totally. So, um, coming back to, coming back to cash, Bitcoin, where it sits 
people who don't want it and people who do want it. What is going on in America just now with Bitcoin and BlackRock? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand that and to see whether, whether it's good or bad for Bitcoin as a protocol or simply Bitcoin as an investment. Yeah. So, you know, what happened here is that BlackRock partnered with, with Coinbase and they've got this, uh, they've got this arm, it's called Aladdin Investment um, Management. It's a platform that, that, uh, that investors can use um, to buy Bitcoin on their institutional investors, right? So they can use that platform to do that. Okay. So what, what is important about this is you've heard Fidelity, they've opened up the platform for people to start using um, Fidelity to buy Bitcoin in their 401k. Super important for, for anybody to have a little bit of insurance for their long-term retirement needs, right? Um, and you've heard about, now you've heard about BlackRock. They're, they're opening it up. Okay, so what's important about this? Well, basically you've got five, you've got five asset managers, Jim, in the world, five, the top five, control $30 trillion of wealth. Let that sit there for a minute. The top five control $30 trillion. Okay. okay. So 1% allocation from those institutional and uh, money managers, that's $300 billion. That's, that's about half of what Bitcoin is worth right now. Just from those five managers. So what's important about this is that when BlackRock adopts it, and then you've got, you know, Fidelity is adopting it, and you've got Van Vanguard's huge, Vanguard's like over $8 trillion. Then you've got uh, UBS and you've got State Street, you know, um, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they're all up close there in the top 10. But when they all adopt this and they enter, they open this platform up for institutional uh, money managers and not just them, but every individual. So remember, they're, these they're, these asset managers, they're not, some of them are managing money for themselves like BlackRock, absolutely. But on, by, and, by, the, by and large, they're managing money for everybody else. Like they're the money managers and people, they're, they have investors in there. So if Fidelity is opening this up, that's opening it up to for registered investment advisors to buy for, for their clients. And those clients are everyday people. And so that's what's important is that it opens it up. It opens it up um, to the masses where right now, if you, I still get asked this question. I'll, I'll tell somebody, look, you really should be buying just a little bit of Bitcoin just for your, um, you know, your, your protection. And I walk them through how having 1% can help them in a total uh, sovereign fiat collapse, right? Um, but the first question is, well, how do I do it? Can I just, can I do it on my uh, E-Trade account? Can I do it through my PayPal account? Can I just buy it through my bank? Like, how do I do it? And so they don't understand. They, they, it's, it's confusing. And then they say, well, I'm saving up be able, to be able to buy one because, you know, they're still at $24,000. And they, they still, they don't understand that, no, you can buy one one hundred millionth of one. You know, you can buy just a few pennies worth if you like, but they don't. So the problem is it. So why is it important? Twofold. It opens the door, but most importantly, um, well, kind of threefold, but most importantly, number one, it opens the door to, to RAs and everybody. Okay. And it's going to be super helpful. And that the same thing with having uh, an, a, a cash ETF. The second thing is that once these institutions start allocating to this, well, it's going to force a lot of institutions to follow and, and get on board because you can't have BlackRock and Vanguard and Fidelity and State Street all allocated to Bitcoin and, and you're a JP Morgan and you're not. You have to, right? UBS, you have to. So um, you have to open that up and, and, and allocate yourselves. Start putting it into portfolios. Even if it's just a half or 1%, you, you have to do it. So that's the second thing. The third thing is, and really most importantly, is it brings it fully mainstream, right? So, and that, and that opens the door for people to talk about 
Bitcoin separately from everything else, from crypto, and that they can really understand it. And they can understand that you can buy just a tiny little sliver if you want. And they can understand exactly why it's different and to go through all the things that you and I talked about. Why? Because they'll get a little pamphlet that will say, why is Bitcoin different? And they'll be able to understand it quickly. That's that's what's most important is to get the masses to understand it. Once you get institutions to understand it, then it'll flow flow down the other way. So, but, so, yeah. so, so 18 months ago, two years ago, James, I was also like you. I was listening to Michael Saylor. I was listening to Preston Pish. I was listening to Rural Pal. And I remember Rural Pal talking about the wall of money that was going to come in when institutions came in, but they needed to take time for the financial plumbing and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is, is, this, is this now, 18 months to two years later, BlackRock, et cetera, got it sorted within their accounting systems and products to say, right, we're now ready to do this? Well, you, I think you may have heard me talk about this before. I've said it before on, on, on other podcasts. I've talked about it in, in spaces before. But just really quickly for your listeners and new listeners that may not understand this is that it, and this is actually something I was going to say right at the end of what I was talking about. This is perfect. So um, for the back in 2000, right, we were we were trading in these uh, these technology stocks. I was at a hedge fund and uh, and they were called hot issues. Right. So you could get if you could get an allocation of one of these hot issues, whether it be Google or, um, you know, Netflix or whatever. And if you could get just a sliver of allocation as an institutional investor, just a thousand shares, right? We would go in for a hundred thousand shares, millions and millions of dollars, and we would just get a a thousand shares, just a few thousand dollars worth, right? However, um, we were getting them at the IPO price. So that's what it was struck at, whatever the IPO price was struck at. Then they would go into the market, they they would come onto the exchange and those prices would immediately melt up. They would go straight up, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 times. It, it, it was incredible. It was mind-boggling. It would just go straight up. Why? Because the people wanted Netflix. You know, everybody wanted it, not the institutions, the individuals wanted it. And so they, but they didn't get the price that we got, right? So we got this price that was pre-IPO, $15. Then it would trade up to 150. And you had people, you had regular people out there who were buying it because they wanted to get it the day that it IPO'd. And they were buying it at 10 times the price we did because they just didn't, you know, they didn't have access. Okay. Today, this is the difference. If you're an individual investor, you can go out and you can buy Bitcoin today. You can, you can get onto, get onto one of the exchanges. You can use lightning. You could, you could download strike. You can, you know, there's a myriad ways you could do this, right? You could go out there. You could buy your Bitcoin, however much you want. And you put it in cold storage and you're done. You can do it in 20 minutes. It, you link your bank account, get some money up there, buy it, you're done, right? So easy. This is what it takes for an institutional investor to buy it. Number one, the, the portfolio manager has to understand it, okay? <clears throat> They're not paid to take on risks that they don't understand. He has to understand it or she, okay? Then once they understand it, they've got to convince their boss, who's the chief investment officer, that they want to put this in their portfolio. It's a new thing. It's not. It, it, it's, it has different risk. Why do they have to do that? Because it doesn't settle the same way that other things settle, okay? So they have to convince that person. Then that person, they the two of them have to go in and convince an investment committee that says yes or no on having this separate asset class and whether or not it's worth the risk to the firm to have this in their portfolios. They have to, and so now we're weeks or, or even months in because you've had multiple meetings, you've had multiple sit downs. Now you're in front of the investment committee, you're gonna have to go through investment committee multiple times, right? <laughs> you finally go through, you get the vote. Yes, we wanna do it. Now you've got to sit down with the chief, uh, the chief counsel, the general counsel, who may or may not be on that investment committee. Often they are, but you convince that person and they have to sit down with the compliance committee. Then the compliance committee has to walk through the steps of, okay, well, who's going to trade it? How's it going to settle? 
who's going to custody it you know who's going to hold those keys are we going to have a are we going to have a, uh you know multi-sig uh holding like are we going to put it in our own uh holdings like how are we going to do that and then you know where are we going to market do we market on the the clothes in new york stock exchange the london like we have we have we have a marking that we use on our on our trading modules but that that may or may not be different these they have to market every single day you know so if you're in europe where are you marking it are you marking the same way that the united states does like how are we doing this right so it's kind of like you go through all those steps you finally get it done you're six nine twelve months in mm. you could have done it in nine minutes yeah so for the first time individual investors retail investors can get into this much faster much more rapidly than institutional investors can and that's the difference wow it's, it's just an incredible it's an incredible opportunity in in my opinion you know and so i guess that's why when the bitcoiners talk about the plebs as in this is the first time the plebs as normal people have been able to get in before the ipo yeah Love it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, look, I understand the fear of having institutions come into the space and have them whip these things around. And, and, uh, and yeah, the institutions are here. Look, the, the institutions that are here are using it in, in a way that, um, is for trading and, and, and fast money purposes, mostly, you know, um, there are institutions that are here accumulating, I'm sure of it. Um, but, you know there are there are hedge funds that are that are using it as a as a, a proxy hedge and just sloppy. They're shorting the futures. They're kind of manipulating around it. Um, you know we we know that. Um, but uh, also remember that there that technology investors in institutions are the ones who are first drawn to this, and they're the ones who are who. Are the the first in right so they're the ones who understand it the most quickly and so but as risk off assets are are you know your risk assets as risk sorry as risk on assets are taken off out of their portfolios because of you know worries about the markets worries about the fed worries about interest rates going up well bitcoin is kind of a leading risk on assets so it the first thing they're going to take off their sheets is bitcoin you know and especially if they could do it over a weekend they could see oh this number came out on friday or they're getting they're talking to people and they realize yeah i don't feel comfortable owning a risk on asset going into monday they can take it off on a weekend on a sunday midnight sunday they can take it off it doesn't matter they can trade all day every day so um it's just a different, it's a different animal. And so it's being pushed around right now in, in a way that leads the risk on assets. So when you yeah. see that, I, I firmly believe that when we turn the corner and the, the Fed is going to pivot and, uh, and we have a loosening of, of fiduciary, of, of, of um, uh, policy from the Fed, then Bitcoin's the one that's going to run first. Uh, you know, it's just the one that's it's the reading leading risk on asset. So, and that's kind of what's happening. So, do you think, um, James, when they talk about, and I've had this conversation really with a uh, recently with a financial advisor, and I said, oh, is, is the 60, 60 40 portfolio dead and should be a Bitcoin in that portfolio? And yeah. He didn't get it. He was like, oh, I mean, uh, it was one of those conversations. Please don't talk about Bitcoin, Mr. Duffy. I don't want to talk about Bitcoin, even though I know that at some point in the future, my bank is going to offer a Bitcoin product. But right now, I don't want to talk about it because I can't. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, that's and that's it. You just hit on it. Is that most institutions still don't understand it, you know? Um they just don't, they're not at the place they need to yet. They will be, eventually, they will be at the place where they must understand it. And it's yeah. going to be, you know, you, you have to understand stocks, bonds, and Bitcoin, you know, so. So just, just to sort of circle back a bit, you talked about calamity within the first five minutes. You said there's calamity coming. Is that mm -hmm. calamity in the short term 
where the Fed are then going to have to pivot? Or are you talking about something more calamitous? Mm, no, I'm talking about something more. Look, I think, you know, we could see it right now. Um, everything that's going on right now. There, the, I haven't been able to dig into what the Fed said today yet because it just it just happened. But we know that they're they're tightening monetary policy into into a decelerating economy, right? So, I mean, they're they're focusing on weakening the 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 job market. They're focusing on on crushing demand in order to um, you know tame inflation. And that's that's what they're focused on, but you, there are a lot of there are a lot of indications that we're entering a, a slowdown here. Um, you know, there's there's mixed signals. You had this great job uh, number on Friday out of out of the United States, but it was kind of is not quite as straightforward as it seems to be. You know, um, the participation rate is low. The I mean, there are a number of people who have have multiple jobs. It, it is. It wasn't. Um, it's. You look at the 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 different quintiles of of uh, um, of of income levels, and it's not the same up and down those um, quintiles. You know, so it's 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 uh, it's not as straightforward as it seems. We know the housing market has has cooled a little bit. It's um, it it hasn't dropped off a cliff, and part of that part of that reason is that. Interest rates came down, mortgage rates came down, came down. But we've seen that the prices of homes are coming down. It's just natural. Higher interest rates mean higher mortgage payments for the same house. So for the same price of a house. So either the price has to come down or mortgage rates have to come down, or um, you know, different money has to come in. The, the demand will be lower. Uh, so um that's uh, that's just a, a reality. Um you're seeing manufacturing kind of um, soften here. You've seen a drop off of consumer confidence. Um, there's just a lot of indications that people are, people are, are not super confident about the future, which means um, they're, they're going to spend less. Uh, inventories are way up at, uh, at Walmart and, and Target. And I think there's going to be a glut. They, they front loaded the inventories um, to head into this fourth quarter. Uh, they were worried about supply chain issues, and now they've got to worry about um, a glut of inventory, and, and they're they're going to have to lower prices in order to fix that. So, I I don't think we have like a head a head on collision here with the economy, but I do think that we have a, a serious slowdown. And the problem is that you've got this increase in in prices that that has continued. We've had we've had oil and gas prices uh, kind of soften in the last number of weeks, but they could easily just ramp back up and and cause a problem of continued rising inflation with a slowdown of of production in the economy. So that is a problem. I do see it as a problem. I do see that 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 I, it's not doom and gloom, but I do see it as a as a major risk for risk on assets. And we could see a, a lot more pain coming to the end of this year and into next year. So but the 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 bigger risk, the huge risk, is that as we raise interest rates across the world, um, and if they over tighten, if the Fed over tightens and misses the mark significantly, and the and everything do, and pr productivity does drop off a cliff, well, then we face the problem that we have a debt crisis. You know, we're already at 130% jet, uh, debt to GDP here in the United States. And it's just a math problem. You talk to Greg Foss about it, and he says it almost daily, like the math doesn't work. So we have to wake up. The math doesn't work. Well, it'll work for meaning it, well, it doesn't work. It, it's, he's right. It doesn't work. They can kick the can down the road for a little while longer, but there's only so far they can kick it before it all collapses, you know? It's a simple math problem. It's a numerator denominator. If your debt is more than your GDP, which is where you where you uh, generate your income from, your tax receipts, and you have the market that falls significantly, well, then you're you're collecting. First of all, you're collecting less um, corporate gain or uh, capital gains tax, right? That's number one. You have a slowdown of of 
the ability of of these companies to expand business uh, expansion. You have a slowdown of hiring. You have a slowdown of productivity. You have a slowdown of earnings. Then your tax receipts are down. Okay, so all your tax receipts are down at the same time that your debt is going higher. Right? Mathematically, you're 130 percent debt to GDP. So as your debt is rising and your income is is falling, it just that that separation just grows. Right? Yeah. And then, in order to save your income line, your numerator, what do you do? You issue more debt, right? You borrow more, you print more money, you issue more debt, and the problem just magnifies on itself. And yeah. that's where it becomes it becomes unsustainable. And so we're seeing that in place. I don't know how long Japan can keep up with it. Oof. They've got such low, they've got such low interest rates, but they're over 200% debt to GDP. They're 230%, I think. It's crazy. Um, they own over the 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 Bank of Japan owns over forty over fifty percent of their own bonds. It's 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 just insanity. I don't know how long that that hap, that that can go on for. And then you've got Europe, that's a problem. Yeah. Europe has a has a has a major issue. You know, you've got Italy and Greece who have unsustainable, um, uh, you know, debt to GDP and 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 debt levels, and their their banking is it's it's teetering to the point where the ecb um ha, is they they've come out and said we're going to use these anti-fragmentation tools right so what that means is they're using yield curve control to buy certain pieces of debt in the italian or or greek um system in order to to ensure that the interest rates there don't rise so much that they have the collapse I'm talking about before they they can tame it, right? So, but wow. who's paying for that? Who's oh. paying for that? The 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 economies that are doing well, the Germanys of the ECB or the of the European Union, they're the ones who are going to pay for that. And eventually yeah. they're they're just going to say no more. And they're and you know, either either we have austerity or we're going to break it up and wow. they're they won't have an option. The Germans just now are absolutely terrified about keeping the lights on and the heating on this winter. I mean, that right. who would have said that about Germany, the powerhouse of the uh, powerhouse uh, of you know, Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic and issue. But you know, it's just the fear of 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 nuclear and of, of using energy in this world yeah. has gotten to it's gotten to the point where it's 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 going to leave. I think the last the last figure I saw is it's going to leave a billion people hungry this year, it's, and it's it's awful. I mean, it's just absolutely awful. I mean, we're blessed. Like, let's just make yeah. it like we're blessed right now, right? Yeah, yeah. But in a in a, a calamitous event, we won't be. And what is that event? That's what you were getting at. And that event is that you have major currencies collapse. You have major G20s collapse. You have Turkey collapse. You have the the ECB uh, breakup, you have Japan uh, collapse. And, like, these are major events. All at the same time that you have, you know, you had we cut Russia off from SWIFT, right? Well, yeah. so they've turned around and now you've seen a rise in the Chinese yuan and ruble denominated purchases of of Russian commodities, right? And so they're they announced that they're they're putting together this BRICS. Right, it's Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South Africa. Right, and Saudi Arabia is talking about joining. Yep. I mean, you know, you're going to have multiple reserve currencies of the world, right? So, this is this is a major this is a major development, um, and we've seen in the last number of months how important it is to have your own commodities, and when Germany has to buy everything from Russia. That it becomes apparent that the fiat system is not sustainable. Borrowing on top of borrowing is not a way to run a business. Any other business would just collapse, you know. But we have this confidence that, well, it's the only way it's ever been done. It's not the only way it's ever been done. In 1971, we changed it all. Yeah. We got off the gold standard here and we changed it all. Yeah. So there's nothing backing any of this. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say, oh, the dollar's backed by gold. 
what? No, yeah. it's not. Certainly you understand that it's not. That's number one. And then the number two is, yeah, but if I want my money from the bank, I just go get it. Really? If you, let's say you have $100,000 in the bank. If you want, if, if, the, if the bank is, you know, we're having a problem in, in, the, in the world and you want to go get your money from the bank, you think that they're just going to hand you $100,000? They don't have $100,000 sitting in their vault. You know, not for you. They do not have all of our money sitting in vaults. Yeah. It's fractional reserve banking. Yeah. You know, they only have to have a, a, a fraction of that in their vaults. And it's, you know, so you might be able to get $10,000 or $8,000, but you're not getting a, a hundred, you know, that's what people don't understand. That's, that's the right. calamity I'm talking right. about. Yeah, that's it. Where it all collapses and people are making runs and, and nothing's worth anything, what it was anymore, you know? So, and you, everything is asset-based. So, so this whole, this whole narrative and everything we're talking about, just to sort of bring this part to a close is, um, and I hear, I hear more and more of this on American media. So I'm, I'm thinking about Bitcoin in the media. And I remember two years ago, you might have heard something or Max Kaiser might have gone on, but now, you know, it's on, it's on Bloomberg, it's on CNBC, people are talking about Bitcoin. Do you, do you see that sort of, um, do you see that kind of rising tide over there in the media? And is it fairly positive? <sighs> you know, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't like to get on any of these podcasts and bash any, um, I, I just like to stay apolitical and I like it just, you know, the system's wrong. The problem is, just put it this way, the media is still part of the system. Hmm. I don't, they don't, they're, they're, they believe the same narratives that are being thrown around. Mainstream media just believes the same narratives that, that are being thrown around. Like, you know, when you, when you log on and you, you see, headlines and i like bloomberg a lot because it it's such a wealth of information i've been using bloomberg forever you know but um when you log on to some of these places and you hear a reporter from cnbc or you know msnbc whatever it may be and they say oh the the crypto market is crashing because bitcoin's dragging it down it's like hmm. because you know you're not you clearly don't understand the the dynamics of of the relationship between Bitcoin and all of the rest of those uh, non proof of work protocols that have a super high beta to Bitcoin, and so they you know when when we recover here, you're going to see some of these, and I don't know which ones, but you're going to see some of these uh, other coins recover faster and a faster a higher percentage faster rate than bitcoin because they have a higher beta to them but they don't understand any of this they don't understand the difference of them they don't get it so back to your original um question and statement is once we have a, a full understanding of it that that's that's when we decouple which I, I think that's what you're getting at is once we have enough understanding of why it's different yeah, that's when we decouple. It's not about the amount of money that comes into it, that it, but that's important. That's part of it, but it's about understanding it, and that's that's what really the driver of it. And that's why I'm trying so hard to help people understand why it's different. And if yeah. you get to the understanding of it, that's why. I'm 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 in awe of, of the work that yourself and Jeff and Greg Foss and Lawrence do in terms of giving so much of your time to to, to people like us. It, it, it blows me away. So we have got some final questions for you. Um, yeah. that's not a, it's not rapid fire, so it's just um, take your time and answer them. So question number one, James. Yeah. How would you describe Bitcoin to someone new in the space? Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, so new in investing or new in, uh, in just the, the digital space? Just new. So, so you meet someone in the bus at the bus stop and you're chatting away to them. You say, oh, I, I'm into Bitcoin. And they say, what is Bitcoin? Mm. So, okay. So I, what I usually do 
is I, I, I break it down really simply of what the problem is with our money supply right now, the yeah. manipulation of the money supply, the amount of debt we have and why it's dangerous and that we are going to see collapses of, of currencies and sovereign debt. We're going to in our lifetime, no doubt about it. Major ones, you know, G20s. Um, so that's, that's first. I don't hit them with why Bitcoin's digital gold or anything like that. I, 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 I explain to them what our problem is and what the problem is with the system. And then I walk through how Bitcoin is different because it's sound money. And then I walk through all the things I just talked to you about how there's why, how and why it is, uh, it is decentralized, how it's no other coin is decentralized like this, you know, how it's truly decentralized. Number one, it but didn't have an issue, uh, didn't have an initial issue that a founder, you know, took a certain percentage of it's, it, it is on it, it, it is completely decentralized. Uh, how transactions settle with nodes, just simply, and then how there's, you know, because of that, you know, it's trustless, meaning you don't need to trust your counterparty. Um, and it, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's scarce. There's only so many that are going to ever, ever be created. And that is protection against the expansion of the money supply, which we're seeing happen so rapidly. And that's kind of how I explain it. And, yeah. you know, I think, and I think it, people appreciate understanding the current system as much as the solution, you know, because if you just tell them the solution, they don't get it, right? Yeah. Okay. I like that one. Okay. Why is Bitcoin open to all? Ah, that's a good question. So, you know, I mean, I don't know what the number is of billions of people in the, on the planet. I, I, you know, Lynn Alden probably, she can snap it off, but um there, there are so many people on this planet who are unbanked. They don't have access to traditional banking um, and or they don't have access to their money all the time. You know, um, you know, if you want to go get your money from the bank in Lebanon, they just may not give it to you. Right. Um, however, with Bitcoin, you can you you can transact with, you know, nothing more than just the phone. You just and almost everybody has a phone now. And so there are a lot more people who have phones and access to the internet than have access to a bank. And so um, because of that, and because you can buy any amount, you can, you can interact peer to peer. I can interact with you right now on here. We can have a transaction that's, that takes place on the, on the Bitcoin, uh, chain that would settle and no bank would be involved as long as you and i have uh, a certain amount of bitcoin that we could trade with each other that that's you know that there's no need for a bank so the only step that you need to get and take is to access bitcoin and you can do that through bitcoin atms you know um, you can do it online if you have access to anything even that's not a bank but you you're you're holding your money in some sort of uh some sort of um app that you can access well then you can you can access bitcoin and it's for it's for everybody um, yeah. and that's why it's so important you know um having the ability to move your money it seems to me like that's a minimum uh requirement for you know, for being a human, like, uh, like a it, it's a, it's a minimum right. You ought to have the right to access the money that you created. If you created this money through your work and your time, it's yours. Why Correct. should you not have access to it? Yeah. So that's it. It, 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 re, it retains the access to your money. And if you need to leave the country, the country doesn't own your money. They took their taxes on it. It's yours. So you can move with it. And with Bitcoin, you can cross any border and it, you're not taking it with you. It's up there. It's, it's, it's in this protocol that you can access anywhere. 
So it's not like you're taking it with you. You're just taking the access codes to it. Hmm. Okay. What are you most excited about coming to Edinburgh and Scotland for the UK Bitcoin conference? Oh, come on. Meeting all you guys. Super <laughs> excited. Yeah. No, you know, I'm, 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 ex- I'm, first of all, uh, I'm flattered and thank you for, for including and inviting me. Um, I'm most excited about sharing our knowledge um, and, and, and being up there and able to answer questions for people who just do not have access to this kind of information and have not been exposed to it before um, and spreading it and to help spread it in, in your beautiful country. That is just, that's an honor to me. I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, I am going to have to take a drive and see if I can find Skyfall, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, one of my favorite movies. One of my uh, favorite movies. That might be that might be my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lastly, what would you like to say about the experience of the conference when you get back on the plane home to Las Vegas? Uh, I would like to just say that it was a a pleasure and uh and an honor to meet all the brilliant people that I've been interacting with all this time. Now I've met Jeff and I've met Greg and, uh, but you know, that's easy, but there's some brilliant people who are not, you know, um, they're not big. They're not hugely influential. Like they may not have large followings or whatever, but I, I know that they're brilliant and, uh, even though they're quiet and and I'm looking forward to meeting some of them and that will be that will be an honor for me yeah James Lavish in Las Vegas thank you the last hour has just flown in um, thank you so much for your time today you're welcome I, uh, I appreciate you having me on here Jim I look very much in, uh, forward to, to hanging out and uh and, uh, and being at the conference and meeting lots of new people. So thank you very much.